You can grab a seat. What a beautiful song. Those words, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Those are prophetic descriptors of who Jesus was gonna be known to be, lifted from the pages of Isaiah chapter nine. See, when the Bible was written, names had a very different weight than they do in our culture today. Names in scripture days conveyed the entirety of a person, their essence, their character. It described who they were. And sometimes names were associated with stories. Like if somebody had a new chapter of their life beginning, sometimes in scriptures they were given brand new names. And anytime you heard that name, you would instantly think of the story associated with. Or sometimes names were given to, to forecast the legacy that was gonna be left by this individual. But in our culture, names a lot of times are simply handles, right? They're things we tag somebody with so we know and we can identify the person that we're talking about. And often they're completely void of any stories. And there are names that you hear probably pretty frequently that because you don't know the story behind the name, it's just another name that gets tossed around. Like, let me give you an example. There's a story of a guy named Easy Eddie. Easy Eddie is an attorney, and he lives in St. Louis, but he becomes friends with this notorious crime boss named Al Capone. So he makes his way to the city of Chicago, and he begins working for Al Capone. As he works for him, he is given everything that somebody from the outside would want. This guy is living a glamorous life. His estate takes up an entire city blocks. He's got maids, he's got servants, he's got every car that he could possibly want. He's got the political connections, he's got the popularity of the people. But Eddie has a soft spot in his heart for his family, particularly his son. So Eddie makes a decision that he wants to pivot away from this life of crime that he's been a part of, that's afforded him the life that he has because he wants to set a different example for his son. He doesn't want his son to grow up with the stench of the underworld being the thing that defines him, and so he wants to leave a different legacy for his son. So he makes the decision that he's gonna cooperate with the feds and testify against Al Capone. All the while before this, he'd been brilliant at navigating the legal system to keep Al Capone out of jail, but now testifying for the feds, his testimony is a pivotal piece that ended up putting Al Capone in jail for tax evasion. Now, when Easy Eddie makes his decision, he can kind of forecast where this is gonna go for his life. It's gonna cost him dearly, and sure enough, Al Capone gets put in jail. Easy Eddie, driving down a lonely Chicago street, his life ends in a, gate, in a blaze of, a, of gunfire. Now his son grows up to be a remarkable young man. His name is Butch and he joins the military. In fact, he is serving in World War II and he becomes a pilot. He's flying a mission in World War II. He leaves his carrier and as they begin to go on this mission, he realizes his fuel gauge is low. He didn't get topped off like he should have, and so he's going to have to break formation, leave his squadron, and head back to the destroyer. So as he makes his way back to the destroyer, ice flows through his veins. You know why? Because he sees a squadron of Japanese planes headed for his destroyers. But he's by himself, so what's he gonna do? He breaks into action. He begins emptying his 50 caliber guns to try to disband the squadron of Japanese fighters. And once he's out of ammunition, does he give up? No. 
he interacts and tries to dive and clip wings and, and try to disable these planes. And what ends up happening over the next four minutes as he's out of ammunition, he's able to down five enemy planes and break up this attack that was imminent. And they turn around and leave. And Butch makes his way back to the carrier. Because of his act of bravery, he is awarded the Medal of Honor. He's known as the very first flying ace of World War II, and FDR gives him this medal. And the thing is, Butch's name lives on in infamy even to this day. If you've ever flown into Chicago, if you've ever made your way through Chicago by an airplane, you have probably witnessed what this name represents. His name was Butch O'Hare. This airport used to be Orchard Road Airport, and it was renamed after this wartime hero. And now you know the rest of the story. I know I just dated myself with that one. But here's the thing with this name. I said names can have a dimension of respect and appreciation when we realize the story that they embody. And what I think of now when I think of O'Hare Airport is I think of this war hero. But I also think of a broader story. I think of a father who took a risk because he loved his son so much. And you and I have the freedoms that we share as Americans in part because of what his son was able to do for us. And as we spent some time worshiping the name, talking about the name of Jesus, I wonder what stories come to mind for you when we talk about the name Jesus. Because Christmas is a story similarly about a father who sends his son because he loves you so much. And this son would pave a way for you to experience freedom that this world would never be able to offer you. And the fact that you and I can actually know him personally and relationally is amazing. There aren't Many names, I would say, that invoke a sense of awe and reverence. But as we've been walking through the last couple months and even this holiday season, there is a name that has captured our attention, our affection. Some would even say our worship. And that name is Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Like, how ridiculous would it be if I was like, hey, I worship Taylor Swift? That would be a stretch. You know, like, but what if I told you that Taylor and I were like childhood friends? Like, we grew up together, and sometimes, like, even this time of year, we get together. Like, there's times Taylor Swift and I, we, we roast marshmallows together. And my hair is glorious. We, we knit some scarves together this year because she's broke. She didn't have much money. And then there was another time earlier this year, we went skydiving. Yeah. And then we went Rocky Mountain climbing. <laughs> And then guess what we did? We went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Man. Yeah, some of y'all know that song. <laughs> if that was true, some of y'all would legit low-key be really impressed. <laughs> my value, my cool factor, my stock in your eyes would probably go up. But the reality is something way more remarkable in me being able to say that, not that I know Taylor Swift, but that I know Jesus. I know the creator of the universe. And not that I just know about him like a, a, a celebrity in People magazine, but that I 
know him. And way more profound is that this Jesus, this Emmanuel, this God with us is God with you. That's God with me. See, his name that you just worshiped, his name hits different because he is different. Jesus is more than just a great teacher. Jesus is more than just an enlightened man. Jesus is more than just a self-help guru. Jesus is more than a miracle worker. He is savior. He is king. In Matthew 121, when the angels show up to Joseph and say, you're gonna have a boy, I want you to name him Jesus because he will what? Save his people from their sins. Scripture describes this Christmas event. And it says that Jesus put on a skin suit. Deity walks the earth. The same sod that you and I walk. He's fully God but he's fully man. But he doesn't flex his godness and use it to his advantage. But in Philippians, it says he came in humility. And you know what form he took? He took the form of a servant. And because of that, look at what it says in Philippians chapter two, verse nine. It says, therefore, because he did this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a big deal that the author wrote these words about the name of Jesus. You wanna know why? Because the author of that scripture made it his life mission to destroy the name of Jesus. He terrorized the early church, going from city to city, town to town, house to house, arresting men and women and children and overseeing their execution in many cases until he came face to face with the risen Christ. The name Jesus, he found out, was impossible to stomp out. And you think about that, to this day, this is a name that has outlasted the rise and fall of every king, every kingdom, every political party, and every empire to live to this day. And Jesus, as he begins his public ministry, he begins teaching, and he makes a stop like you are today. He stops at a church, he stops at a synagogue, and what happens is he's asked to read a portion of scripture. And I think, what portion of scripture would Jesus read first if he's gonna kick off his ministry? He's handed this ancient text from the prophet Isaiah, who we sang about earlier, the wonderful counselor, mighty God. Unto us a son is born, a child is given. He has this text in his hands and he's asked to read in the church service. And I would think, well, maybe he would read that text to describe who he's going to be. But that's not what he does. He actually reads something that sets the framework for why he came to this planet. Let's look at what it says in Luke chapter four, verse 17 to 19. And the scroll of the prophet, uh, of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written. And this is what Jesus reads publicly. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to, and I want you to pay attention to what his mission was. He's anointed me, Jesus, to proclaim good news to the poor, 
freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what Jesus' first public declaration of his ministry is going to be about, to accomplish those things. And when we come to the Christmas season, we usually say this, Jesus is the reason for the Yeah, Jesus is the reason for the season. But here, Jesus is saying, actually, you're the reason for the season. Jesus came for the messiness and the brokenness and the oppression and the blindness and the poverty that we feel as human beings, if we're honest. And he says, you know what? I came to bring good news to the poor because he knows that you and I, during different seasons of life, we're gonna feel poor. Sometimes we feel poor financially, but there's times we feel poor like we're just beaten down by life. Maybe we feel like we're emotionally and mentally poor, bankrupt, having nothing to give. Jesus says, I'm here for that. Heaven knew at times you and I would find ourselves in prison and oppressed bound by addiction, bound by anger and unforgiveness, sometimes a slave to the opinions of others. And he says, I've come to step in to that mess inside of you. He knew at times we would feel blind. Maybe we'd wander through life feeling a little bit lost, like we just can't get our direction and we don't know where to go. And sometimes it feels like I can't even see you, Jesus. I can't even see where you're trying to lead me. And Jesus says, I'm gonna come and step into that. And if you'll follow me, I'll be a light for your path. And I'll open your blind eyes and allow you to see. And he came to show his love and his favor for you. Right where you sit today in real time. That he's not in love with a future version of you when you get some things together, but he's in love with you as you sit here today. We worship, we worship the name of Jesus because Christmas is about God coming near to be with us and to change the world by changing your world, by changing my world. And that is the story I hope as you hear the name Jesus that you will first think that he came for you, to be with you. And because of that, his name is worth your adoration, it's worth your trust, it's worth your devotion. So today, as I, as I wrap up, I just wanna give you a moment to ponder these couple of questions. So think about these. The mission that Jesus came to live, where do you need him to invade your world today? Where do you feel poor and bankrupt in this moment, in this season, like you just don't have enough to give? Whether it's the problems of life weighing you down. Jesus in, in John 10, 10 says, you know what I've come for? I've come to give you life and life more abundantly or to the full. That's his heart for you. And as you follow him, he wants to infuse your life with his life. Where today do you need to experience this freedom that he came to bring? 
freedom from unforgiveness, freedom from the things that hold you back from pursuing the dreams and the destiny that he has for you. Freedom from the addictive cycles that you've wanted to break the chains of, but you haven't been able to. Jesus says, I've come. And where my spirit is, there is freedom. So will you invite my spirit into your heart to bring freedom, to bring life, to bring hope? Because this is the good news of the Christmas message. Can we pray together? God, for the men and women in this room and those that are watching online, I don't know their story. But you know every detail of their story as it's being written right now. And we're reminded of what the real story is of Christmas, that you came as a baby, but you didn't just stay in a manger. You came to bring life and liberty and freedom and sight to our lives. So would you help us to embrace you and embrace the truth of who you are this holiday season? This Christmas doesn't go by without us worshiping the name, relishing the name, adoring the name that is above every name. So we thank you for loving us and for coming. In Christ's name we pray, amen.